just so I, I don't need to do it later, but and also I'll forget, which yeah. you don't want to be 30 minutes wow. into a conversation and turn around and that say, would suck. it would suck if it's a good conversation. I've done it where it wasn't. And I was like, ah. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you know, it looks like the episode just isn't going to happen. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> Anyways, Jen. <laughs> we have another episode of Dismissed, the podcast about getting fired, canned, laid off, or let go, and what you learn from it. And with me today, this evening, tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening to it, is Jennifer Hayes. Jen, I was wondering if you could just introduce yourself a little bit and about who you are and what you do. All right. So I am a design thinker slash I'll do whatever I need to do kind of designer. Uh, I worked for uh, IBM for 20 years and mm. I've now been at RBC for about four years oh, wow. uh, going on five. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, my role has continuously changed uh, both at IBM and, and at RBC, but uh, certainly in the product, design purview like from the beginning from the beginning yes yes but started from as a visual designer well right yeah graphic design and stuff like that yeah. right so yeah yeah and then through to interaction and user experience and and now i design um learning tools and things like that i design <laughs> i design methods and playbooks that sort of thing this is an audio podcast but we're in a video podcast the amount of confusion you have on your face when you describe what you do is absolutely perfect because you sound well, very sure about what you so do but you look completely confused by what my you do. actual title is design pathfinder so yeah, I don't know explain. if that gives you any confidence. <laughs> no, sure. Well, I'm a creative technologist and anybody says, what do you there do? You I'm go. like lights and motors, lights and motors. So <laughs> that's totally fine. I, I, I can appreciate the, uh, I, you know, it is one of the interesting things about having had a lengthy uh, career that has changed over time. Cause it, it, when you look at our, our parents' generations generation, excuse me, they would pick a career and that was their career and they, they just did it until they retired. And we yeah. have a, we have a scenario in which a lot of the people from my generation, your generation, we are, we tended to be very fluid in our acceptance of whatever our next job was going to be. And, and as long as it was relatively along that path, pivoting didn't matter all that much. It didn't bother us that much. We could be very accepting of the changes. Yeah. 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 I, I would agree with that. Like, I mean, certainly I was influenced by my parents' desire for me to have stability and a pension. <laughs> like every parent wants their kid to have a pension, which is such a weird concept. But I was just so happy to get a job mm -hmm. and not be living in my parents' house anymore. Like that was kind of my life goal was to move out of my parents' house. And, and I think the reason why it was that was because I was an artist. I was trying to make it as a full-time painter, which was really not a great way to move out of your parents' house. No, no. Unless no. they have a studio in the back and then you're not in their house. Yeah. Their <laughs> okay. Well, there, there's additional space issues there, but uh, that's another <laughs> podcast perhaps. <laughs> but, but yes, certainly, uh, you know, getting, getting a job for me, keeping those expectations low initially in my career was, uh, yeah, you kind of roll with it. It's like a job. Sure. I'll do it. So yeah, quite happy. It, what, what was uh, so uh, just for the sake of clarity here, you and I are cousins, as it turns yes. out. Yep. And and uh, we went both went to the same school and the same course one year apart. Yeah. So you yep. ended up going to computer graphics at Sheridan College one year before I did. And you got your job at IBM right out of school, right? It was my second job out of your school. second job out of school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about, okay, so this is the question I have. And, and because of the, your response to my post where I mentioned the podcast, you said it's like a bad breakup. So yeah. I'm wondering, can you tell me a little bit about the bad breakup in your employment? Oh, yes. I'm just going to take a few deep breaths. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so 
you know, first job out of Sheridan College. I was so thrilled. I was so thrilled to get a job. I had a choice between IBM and a very small company that had four other employees. Mm. And I ended up going with this the small company. So this was back in 97 and I was so excited. It was in an old warehouse. It was in the, you know, the Liberty Village district. It was just so exciting. And they were also quite young. We were all in our 20s. Mm-hmm. And so working for them, it kind of was an extension of school because they were my peers and age and, and right. also experience, but also the hours. I mean, I, I had a very moderate, you know, salary, a basic salary for the time but was still working long hours, working on Saturdays and, you know, but I was in it to win it. I was just so thrilled to be there. Um, And we also socialized a lot because we were similar in age. I ended up becoming friends with their friends, my, my two bosses, and we spent a lot of social time together. Right. So it just became, well, you know, my family and my friends. And it was also my, because it was my first job, in Toronto, you know, they were a huge part of my life there because I was mm-hmm. kind of forming my social groups and and kind of just getting my life started. So they were a massive part of that. And I remember, I even remember at one point having this thought in my mind as I was sitting there on another Saturday alone in the office working, thinking, what would they do without me? <laughs> well, uh- that, that's like they a do? curse that's like you just you never say that you just yeah. never say that uh, about your job like what would they do without me i'm yeah. such a loyal employee and um but at the same time you know i i struggled a little bit because i was new in my career mm-hmm. didn't have you know they were my first experience and i think because my creative director, i.e. the only other designer in the studio was a year ahead of me in the same mm-hmm. program that we took. That's funny. Yeah. She also didn't have a lot of experience, but also was really busy with with her plate of work. And so I didn't get a lot of direction. There wasn't a lot of um, time for it. Right. right. So, so I think I struggled a little bit and uh, but didn't see it that way because we got the work done. We met our deadlines and, you know, I was very committed on time and under budget. Oh, that, that was me. The, that was the, totally mantra, me. the mantra of the late 90s, early 2000s, oh, on yeah. time and under budget, literally oh, was totally. on, on company masthead on the website. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, as I look back on the work too, it was kind of glorified PowerPoint. Like basically we were using Flash mm-hmm. to create these dynamic presentations, marketing right. presentations. So it wasn't yeah. like, you know, really difficult work. So one day, uh, typically on a Thursday night, you know, we would all go out. Their their friends would come over to our office. We'd have a few drinks and we'd go out clubbing downtown. But this one evening, my uh, the HR partner, the, the number number two guy, right. said, "Hey Jen, uh, let's let's go down to the bar for a drink." And and I'm like, "Okay." And and I said, "Who else is going?" Oh, just the two of us. Let's just go for a drink. And so I just thought, well, that's really unusual because normally it's the group of us, right? We're a family. So we go down to the bar, we get our drink and, um, and he can't look me in the eye and he's like kind of humming and hawing. And he's like, you know, we've, uh, you know, we're going to do some restructuring. He actually <laughs> said, he actually said restructuring. Six and, of I us. Just, oh, yeah. and I just, and I just stopped him and I said, are you letting me go? Right. Are you letting me go? And he's like, well, you know, and, and I just like, I just wanted him to call a spade a spade. Right. Like sure. you just, just do it. And he just couldn't. And, and I was like, Oh my God, I can't. And I don't even really remember what I said after that. Cause like once I actually knew and pulled it out of him that right. I, you know, and I didn't really get a great reason, but obviously it was like, I just didn't have enough experience. They needed someone who could wear a lot of hats, but <laughs> it, it just wasn't super clear. Company. Oh my God. And, and so I started crying. He started crying. So we're both sitting at the bar crying into our drinks. He was crying. What a, he was crying. That's a heck of a job you he's know, doing there being, oh, being the strong totally, one. Totally. And I, maybe I was his first, maybe I was his first <laughs> 
dismissed. <laughs> you know, I popped his firing cherry oh or something. Oh my god! So, but also, I can't really say I was fired. Like, I definitely was dismissed because I didn't do anything wrong. Sure. I guess. Like, I'm just going to go with that. Sure. Go with, it's I didn't. 20... Four years later, I'm sure you can sure. say whatever you want about I've it. I reconciled it. I reconciled. <laughs> so, uh, so that was. So I went home and I was like, "Oh my god!" I just remember going back to my roommates and lying on the bed, going, "Oh my god, what do I do?" But you know, to to dial it back four months before that, so I was only with them for four months. Um, but previous to them, I I had also been talking about with IBM. Yeah. And so I had a couple of moles at IBM and every now and then, <laughs> and every now and then they'd be like, so Jen, how are you doing at that job? Cause so you know, the, the manager and the creative director here, they're still asking about you, you know, they, they really liked you. And, uh, and so, you know, I gave myself the evening after the dismissal yeah. from this little company. And the next day I thought, well, I guess well I'll, give I, I'll give I'll give IBM a call. I guess you know I was so beaten down at this point, so I called IBM and I and I said, "Yeah, hi, my my contract ended, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and and I'm available if you have any work. I'd be happy to come back in for another interview." And uh, and I remember my my roommate's boyfriend at the time. He was also he was burning, burning to get into IBM. Oh really? And and yeah, and so when he said like when he knew that I called them, he's like, oh my god, I'm gonna call them too. I'm gonna call them too. And 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 my roommate said, just give Can her an opportunity. Just <laughs> just stop it because my first interview at IBM was with him. He wanted he joined oh. me. He he joined my coattails. He came to my my interview. That's weird. He thought yeah. Well, he thought it's an opportunity like two for one <sighs> men yeah, are the anyway. worst oh my god oh. men are the like, with all due respect to men they're the worst <laughs> that <laughs> that you, level that yourself. level of conceit to say i wasn't invited but i'm inviting myself to the room like to me that is very typical very typical 20s male you know what i mean like like the confidence and, to just walk in and go, I'm going to come too. Just a, I have to take some ownership for that to say, hell no, but I didn't, right? Because it's like, well, gonna... he's my friend and blah, blah, blah. Exactly. But that's what yeah. I mean. Like that's, they, he took yeah. advantage. He took advantage totally. of your good nature. And that's like yeah. a very, it's such a typical dude thing to just go, well, I can get in on that. It's like totally. so weird. And, and the reason why they didn't hire me before the small company did was because they thought we were a package and they didn't like him, but they liked me. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So, so anyway, all this until, so, so all this to say that, um, I got let go by the small company. The next day I called IBM and the manager who I'd interviewed with initially, he called me back. And when he's excited, he, he kind of like uh, stutters a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I came to learn. And, and he said, uh, well, yes, uh, yes, uh, we don't need to interview again. Uh, that'd be totally fine. Uh, when, what, uh, you know, that's great. Uh, when can you start? Amazing. And yeah, and, and my salary also increased by about 45 to 50% in that <laughs> one phone call. Um, and, and it's and IBM. I was like, it's a nine to five. Yeah. Like they're not. Yeah, right? totally. And I also said, um, you know, uh, he said, when can you start? Well, I can start in two to three weeks. Because <laughs> you got, did you get a, a package when you got let go? Like, you oh, hell go, no. No. <laughs> no. Because I didn't know. Like, I, I'd been an employed person for four months. I had right. no idea what I was entitled or not entitled to. Right? I mean, I four was months, just, you probably weren't entitled to very much no, to begin with. Maybe two no. weeks or something. But I was entitled to a handshake, I guess. I don't know. A like, handshake and for- a drink. Did he pay for the drink that he fired you, you with? You bet he did. <laughs> and I think my next one was a double just that's for so, that. That's pretty funny. So, I mean, you didn't really have to learn anything. <laughs> No. <laughs> from the experience you had a job lined up unintentionally and and just managed to hop right okay. into a, a very but consistent position one thing i did learn how to say though or the one thing i never ever did again and to this day will never do again is sit sit in my desk or you know in front of my computer thinking my god what would this company do without me <laughs> my god yeah they, yeah they will just like their stock will plunge and no never say that mm-hmm. never never yeah. rest on your laurels my god 
it's a it's an interesting thing because I I worked at uh, I worked for a company that I I worked so many evenings and weekends. I worked all the long weekends. I worked, you know, my vacations I had to cut short or I didn't get to have. And it was a full year of that. And when they when they let me go, it was they had written me a they had given me a review that was so bad, like it didn't reflect the year. And I I just looked at them and said, are you trying to make me quit? And it, I believe that's what was going on is they wanted me to quit. So they didn't have to pay me severance because they wanted to hire my replacement without, you know, so I just said, I said, I'm not signing this. And I wrote my own review in return and, and gave them all the things I had done for them. And, and it was like, they went, well, those are some good points. And you know what I mean? And then two weeks later, the CEO came along and he goes, so let's do this the right way. And he, and he was like, you know, we're restructuring same thing. Oh. They, they had the guy lined up and I had said internally with other employees, I was like, they want me to quit. So they don't have to pay severance. And they were like, no, there's no way. And then like we sat down and the guy was like, so we're restructuring. And they just replaced me with another creative technologist. And I, <laughs> I was like, I was like, like I, I had yeah. a feeling that was it. And I, for those two weeks, I did not work any extra hours. Anytime somebody said anything that was like, could you work tonight? I go, nope. And I'd walk out. It was nine to five every day because I was working. I, I mean, I would work evenings and weekends and, yeah, you know, and I, and yeah. I had that and I had that perspective of how could they possibly do without me? Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. they could replace me. Right. Yeah. Like they don't like I've said before, like a, a company doesn't owe you. You know, no. they pay you for your time. And if they want someone yeah. else's time, they're going to get rid of you. And it's a, it's a hard, hard process or it's a hard thing to process when you're in the middle of really feeling loyal, but loyalty is oh. never reciprocated, you know? No, no, no. And, and, you know, and it's funny too, cause I, you know, when I started at IBM, I, I was sort of the champion of work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of swung the pendulum and um, you know, I mean, I, I still worked um, long hours, but, you know, and I, I would do what I had to do. Like I would work overtime if I needed to work overtime, but, but I, you know, I could also balance that out by sure. taking that time off. So, so it was, it was really good. And, um, when you, you made know, that, and, uh, yeah. sorry, can I interrupt when you, when you made yeah. that, sh that shift in your thinking, do you, do you feel it? Do, did you recognize that as deliberate? Like you went, I worked really hard for this company and I didn't get what I needed. So I'm going to well, make sure I balance it more effectively. Yeah. And part of it too, was that when I started at IBM, because the pace that I had worked at the small company was so ferocious, mm -hmm. right. It was like run, 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 run. And so I, I started doing that when I got to IBM and I would like race through my work and okay, right. what's next? What's next? And, and it was hilarious because like the older sorry, not older, but let's say more experienced. More experienced. Thank sure. you. The more experienced folks were like, who were leading these projects I was working on. They're like, okay, well now Jennifer, let's just relax because, <laughs> you know, we told them that we would get this to them by that date. And, and we right. don't want to do it early. So right. let's, you know, just, present the work to them then because I would be like oh we can email it to them sooner blah, 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 you know whatever. and and so they kind of put the reins on me you know mm -hmm. over time they just had to be like okay just relax yeah so so I had to really it took me a long time to just really go okay let's just sit with the work sure. and and be thoughtful about the work and put put you know I don't know like it's not that I slowed down or fuck the dog or anything but it was just different like it was like i could really just get into the work and dig into it and be thoughtful and think and learn do you do you think that um because you were given that opportunity to spend time with the work do you feel that that made you a better design thinker oh for sure for sure because i had time to ask questions, mm -hmm. you know, and build relationships with the people who are my stakeholders. And at IBM, it ends right. up being a lot of the developers were stakeholders and they'd be like, I want an icon, you know, <laughs> in, the, in the early days, in the early days, I'm not kidding you. The rite of passage was icons, 16 by 16 icons for software development it's the tools. fact that, he sounds, that, that, that your developer sounds like a Dalek and it's just like, I want an icon. Icon! Yeah. Well, they kind of felt a little robotic, you know, uh, and I would be like, why do you need that icon? 
what right. what what is it going to do for the user? What does it know? represent? And yes. What well, is it really needed? Why yeah. there? That's so funny. Um, so so give me a chance to really ask questions and and to to ponder why why the work. Whereas previously, yeah. I was just kind of motoring through it and delivering. Well, and the interesting thing is when you when you think about it, from 1998 to 20. 15 maybe or or maybe 2005 we were we were, the the user experience and user experience design that vertical was coming into itself like the, the that didn't exist as a vertical you were a graphic designer who designed for web right and that's yep, how yep, that's yep, how we yep. all treated it and then yep. all of a sudden it became a realization that you could design an experience in the web specifically by understanding the, the people who are going to use it. And so I remember, I, I believe you were doing user experience, you're doing experience design for a while within IBM as part of your, you know, yeah. upward path. And I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, you know, the, the very, it's a, it's not necessarily definitive role change, but it is a very uh, pivotal role change to a lot of designers within, within the web world. Yeah. And I think it, it just comes down to why, you know, like, uh, and, you know, because I wanted to know, I, I didn't want to just receive and do, mm-hmm. I wanted to know, well, why, why do you want to do that? Right. And, and, and it started from there. So I was very firmly a visual designer, although in our program at Sheridan, we did learn the principles of interaction as well. Right. Sure. But, but certainly as the type of work I did evolved, um, and, you know, I mean, I did marketing demos, I did storytelling, I did, um, you know, UI design, but, but I think the why, the big why, or the five whys, you know, just propelled me more to learning about the rationale and, and why mm-hmm. these decisions, but then also understanding more deeply um, and building empathy for the developers I worked with yep. to understand what constraints really meant and to understand even just workflow stuff. I mean, I think that I spent more time understanding how to work with people than I did like in the actual solutions for our clients. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I think that um, what was interesting at IBM too, and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but, but initially, <laughs> initially we were like visual designers over here and then yep. user experience people over here and we were separate. Right. But when we started to become more integrated with the user experience team, um, it was, you know, really interesting because I worked with this one designer, UX person who had originally been an engineer and she moved into uh, HCI, human computer interaction. And we were partnered on a project. Uh, I guess it was my turn to deal with her. And, um, and, 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 uh, we were working with we were working with a developer on um, some UI mm-hmm. that always has visuals and interaction, like that's what it is. And I made a comment that apparently went out of the boundaries of a an icon oh. <laughs> or 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 what the window looked like. And uh, she's like, "You do visuals, you do pixels, and oh, I boy. do everything else." And and at that point, I I, I realized no. No, I don't just do pixels. Yeah. I do so much more. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I really struggle with role uh, labels because even as a visual designer, I still asked why. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, and then gradually working really closely with product and asking why and getting into the strategy. And, um, and I think that, you know, it's just, you, you know, it, you just keep moving closer and closer to what I call the left right yeah. if we think about the double diamonds like just so far away from delivery right. and uh and and i can't imagine any designer not thinking about the left and the why right yeah well designers that only worry about design tend to tend to be only um they tend to be sought out just for their design, right? They're not sought out for an experience designers that worry about experience and worry about how you get from point A to point B in a website or a piece of software. They're very different people, right? Like when you talk about someone who's a designer where you get hired, their work ends up on a website. They are not concerned about how that website works. They're concerned about their work on the site. 
So it's yeah. it's a very it's a very different thing. So it is, yeah. There are there are designers who like you who who kind of went that path and understood that the experience of the um, movement from point A to point B mattered just as much as the content that you were seeing. So you know, it's it is everybody's got their own uh, thing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but at, but at the same time, though, we still need the develop. Like we still need the producers. We still need those people sure. who are gonna build beautiful graphics. Like you know, not everybody. We don't need everybody to be deep thinkers, and you know, because we we had some folks who were just brilliant at production. Yeah. And. Um, they were fantastic. And, and I think that once I stopped expecting them to be thinkers, we settled into a wonderful relationship. You know what I mean? Like you can't expect people to all be kind of moving on the same trajectory and it's, it's totally okay that different people want different things. And I think that brings so much peace to the work as well, to the relationship. I think once you can establish how, your work complements someone else's and how theirs yeah. complements yours. That's where you end up with that. It, it becomes a very peaceful, you know, uh, coexistence. It, when, when, when you deal with someone whose ego takes over and doesn't allow for your input to be of value, or you can't figure out how you can complement each other. That's a very, it's a very, you know, friction based existence and where you have to constantly explain why you're doing what you're doing because they always are contrary and don't believe what you're saying. And it, there, there is a certain, I mean, listen, there's a certain amount of, uh, there's a certain something to be said for 20 years of experience. I have become exceptionally diplomatic compared to how I used to be, where I would walk into a meeting and say, this is bullshit. And I would walk out. So mm-hmm. You know, but that hue doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it, it's interesting because I was just going to ask you, like, because um, I think part of it too, I mean, the blind side is just awful, right? Mm. And and my my goal in my career is to to not be blindsided. I mean, we we can understand, like, I know that change is inevitable. Like, change is part of what we do. Sure. It's just that's yeah. that's why we have jobs, right? Um, but we have to keep ad- adapting to that. But I don't like a punch in the gut kind of change. Right. And and so one thing that I've learned to do, and this is this is something I is a continuous learning for me, is to ask for feedback, but to you know, ask for really honest feedback. And uh-huh. um, I, you know, I started reading Jim Death, uh, Jim Deathmer, uh, leading above the line mm-hmm. is one of his concepts. And and it it sort of you know sometimes there are hard truths and um and when we are um when we don't like what we hear we can be defensive uh we can turn inward um and uh part of what his idea is is that you know you can feel the feels you can get upset when you hear certain feedback but turn it into a an opportunity to learn or mm-hmm. turn it into curiosity um and and an opportunity yeah like it just be open to it um and so i think that in order to avoid a future <laughs> dismissal you know i want to know how i'm doing like sure. warts warts and all and i think that part of what i've learned how to do even just in the last five years is to ask people for candid feedback like just and asking my reports even like am i supporting you how well can I do what, what can i do differently yeah sure I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I, I you know, I personally, I uh, uh, expect the worst at all times. So I'm never particularly surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, just a- anecdotally, I, when I worked at Ryerson, my boss, I'd been given an office when I walked in the door, they were like, this is your office. And I went, great. And he pointed at another door and like another office that was actually within the space that I managed. And he said, there's that office too, but we'll just use that for storage. And I said, okay, I, I didn't care. I was happy to be working. So he called me into his office two weeks later and said, Hugh, can you, can you come in? I want to talk to you for a minute. I was like, oh, this is it. I'm getting canned, right? Like it's been two weeks. They're done with me. I don't know. And then he goes, can you close the door? I went, oh, oh man, this is the, this is the very end. Like I've just, I've, I've screwed the pooch. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how, but I've screwed the pooch. 
So he goes, so about your office, we'd like you to move into that smaller office. I hope that's okay. And I said, you really need to start with that. Like, don't tell me to close the door. What did you expect me to react? <laughs> Changing offices means nothing close to me. The door. I thought I was getting fired, <laughs> Greg. And he's like, and he goes, oh my God, no, we love you. You're great. I went, okay, start with, we love you. You're great. Can you change offices? You know, don't close. The, why did I have to close the door? This is not a, this is not a closed door meeting. Yeah. I, I totally, I totally hear you. Like expect the worst. Like I, I do suffer a little bit from imposter syndrome and I, I have gone through bouts of like, you know, doing my job and thinking, okay, yeah. When's it going to happen? Right. When, you know, it's like if it's if it's if it's Oops. a really tough project, if it's you know, if I'm struggling with it, um, I, I, I go deep into my own little rabbit hole. Yeah. And um, and, and the best thing, though, to pull me out of that is to actually say to someone, hey, I'm really struggling with this. I need some time with you. I yeah. need you to pull me up and out of this dark hole. Um, but it sometimes it's hard to get there. Mm-hmm. And um, but but yeah, like expecting that that worse. Like oh yeah, it's they're they're totally gonna fire me now. Is it today or is it is it tomorrow? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if people are aware just how many times someone could really use a little boost of you're doing a good job or you're doing great. Like I'll tell you how bad my imposter syndrome is. I applied to Sheridan's, Sheridan's animation program twice and was rejected twice. And the first time I went to the Art Fundamentals course and the second time I went to illustration. So I never did the thing I really wanted to do because I wasn't good enough to do it. So I have been living with that for 30 years. <laughs> but do you know what, though? Do you really 20... want to do that, though? No, like, I would never. Really wanted to... exactly. I wanted to do it so bad because part, yeah. partly because I really wanted to do cartoon voices. I always wanted to do <gasps> voice work. So <sighs> I thought that my end to doing voice work was making cartoons. If I made cartoons, I would be able to do voice work. Now, the funny thing is, is that I have a friend who's a recording engineer who could very easily help me with a demo and he's offered to do it. And I really put it off because my imposter syndrome is so bad that if I make a recording and people hate it, I'll be devastated. Right? So I did one, I did one small demo. This is such an aside, but I did one small demo where I read I can't remember what the book, the Gruffalo. I read a child's book called the Gruffalo and I did voices for every character. And one friend of mine, if he was aware of the effect of that, this comment, he just said, I was embarrassed for you. And I was like, "Uh Oh, Oh, right. What? Yeah. I just, I, I said, did you see that video? Cause I was kind of proud of it. And then, and then he's like, I was embarrassed for you. And I'm like, Oh, oh my God, that just killed me. And then another friend, I said, did you see the video? He goes, yeah there were like three good voices on it. I said, there's six characters. <laughs> so I'm like, that's, that's you, the learning, right? Do you if have you're any learning. concept of exactly what you can do to somebody just by telling them like, like my rainbow work, the, the pride uh, flag, rainbow yeah. photography, great response. Great response. One guy said enough with the rainbows and it just uh-huh. killed, me, killed me. And only when I went back to visit my mom, where she said, can we go shoot in the park? And I said, sure, let's do that. And we, we did. And she had a great time. I had a great time. You know, it's just like this episode will come out after June. So I can say, I just got, I got back from a, from a shoot working with, you know, of God, I'm still afraid to say it, but I, I was like, I went down and shot with the WWE and I shot rainbows with wrestlers for their pride 2022 campaign. Absolutely massive career boost for me. I, I hope, but it, they found my work and they went, we love those rainbows. We want you to come down and shoot with us. And I was like, yeah. Oh, okay. That's you know? awesome. So what is it about the one negative comment? What is it about that? Well, that you hang on to that. Like yeah. you could have a hundred, 200 positive comment, what the one or two negative comments. And that's what you take away. Yeah. Why do we do that? You know? Well, I think the thing is that especially if it's someone that, you know, and respect the, the negative comment is they made a choice to say it, you know, like, like that guy saying he was embarrassed for me. He made a very oh. deliberate choice to, to, to put me down. But what if he was jealous? Like I don't, you don't. He's not know, jealous, right? He's not jealous. He's a million dollar a year generating artist. He doesn't. He's not jealous of uh, me. 
not at all, well, but it, it was a, a choice, but it was a choice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, the, yeah. and the, the guy who, who joked about the, the three voices out of the six, he w- he's actually been incredibly constructive. So I didn't take mm. it poorly. He, he yeah. said, you know, three of the, vo- three of those voices are really unique and the others aren't. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. and I remember going through the, the recording with my friend and him coaching me through it. And he said, listen, I'll tell you, if you're going to do this, if you do this for a living, you need to have that voice done. It needs to be ready so that you're not needing to be coached all the way through yeah. it because the director won't have time for you. Right. Right. So yeah. I didn't take the three voices out of six are good uh, as, as a, as a criticism, like it was constructive to me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. the, but the I'm embarrassed for you was entirely destructive. And I, that is terrible. Yeah. 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 Sorry, buddy. Ugh. I'm not outing them. It's just, a, it was a funny, cause it was, he said it to me personally, but it's, it was a funny, like, wow, you really, you really went for it. Anyways, well, that may and, not and, end and, up. In- <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but there's this, so I think about fear a lot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, fear of failure. For sure. Um, and that's tied into you know, the imposter syndrome and all that stuff, insecurities, just, just like what, ha- what would happen if, which is a terrible, if is a terrible word, right? What if, um, but, you know, in, in thinking back to, you know, I guess in my, in my life, like I'm thinking, oh yeah, losing my job would be like terrible because like, how am I going to pay my rent or my mortgage or whatever? For sure. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, you land on your feet. Like, I kind of was like a cat in that respect, you know, like they Mm -hmm. dropped me upside down. I landed on my feet and ran away. Um, But, but I still kind of, I think I still struggle with that a little bit is like, well, what's the worst that could happen with, if you fuck up at work, Mm -hmm. well, you fuck up at work, right? The worst that could happen is like you get fired, but when you're full time at a company, you have to really fuck up hard over and over to get let go. Right. right. You have to be like you, you're going to know. Well, and then, it, and then it's you, it's not them. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. a big difference. It was funny. One of the other episodes, Jennifer Moraza, which she's a recruiter. And she said the three, the, the three, they're the three P's of getting fired. And one it's politics, someone yeah. moves into a position and they want to change it up so that it, it, it works for them. The other one is um, personal you rub someone the wrong way and they want you gone. Yeah. And the other one is performance. So yeah. you are consistently doing a bad job so much so that they get rid of you. Now, those are the three that's, and if you can identify which one it is, usually that helps you move on from it. Now, if it's performance, it, it's an indicator that you need to get your skills up to do the job right. Or you were yeah. doing the wrong job, right? Yeah. Yeah. So being afraid, like being constantly and consistently afraid is not, a, it's not a good state of being right no. like i remember talking on slack with with one of the salespeople, and they had i had said something like I mean, i'm really freaking out here i don't know and this was like you know mid-pandemic i was a creative technologist working mostly in experiential and had not done an experiential project in <laughs> seven months or something and they just said are you kidding me we get told to bring you to meetings because you are the person that convinces clients to buy our work. Like you are the guy, you're the, you're the person. And I had never heard that before. I'd never heard bring Hugh because it, because no one says it to me, they say it to other people. If they'd said it to me, it would have really helped because I spent a lot of time questioning my value. Right. Yeah. And yeah. to have them say it to me was like, oh, oh my God, that's amazing. That's so great. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is nice to have external feedback, but at the same time, like, um, you know, how much validation does one need? But, but I think that there's always a, there's a nice balance Enough. of like <laughs> hearing, but you do need to hear it. And for sure. And I, I think it is nice to be acknowledged. And, mm-hmm. you know, certainly at RBC, like they're really big on like, um, Pens. What do they call it? Uh, pens. Yeah. Keychains, actually. So uh, great. So great. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but they're really good on uh, acknowledging, like they're, they really push this mm-hmm. um, like awards or acknowledgement, like all these different levels, right? Because they, they really want to make people feel like that they're valued? seen, that they're seen and right. that they're valued. 
Um, yeah, yeah. But but I mean, like, you know, right now it's like it's a real, it's it's a hot market out there right now for yeah. design. And um, you know, if you know, I think in the back of my mind, I still think, oh fuck, what if I fuck up? Uh, but. I don't know. Like, yeah, I wish I could, you know, worry about that a little bit less and just like enjoy the ride. But I mm-hmm. think I'm always thinking about, you know, and that's just who I am. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm a pleaser and I'm always wanting to like not fuck up. And, and I know that I don't, I actually do a really good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wish I could just like, you know, cruise through life going, yeah, okay. I got this. Yeah. All right. And if I, if I, if I fuck it up, I'm going to learn something. That's okay. You know? Yeah. I, but I can't be blase. I'll tell you what, what, one of my favorite quotes, and I can't remember who said it. And honestly, I, I, I feel horrible and I could probably type it out and find it, but it was like, God, give me the, God grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Like it just, it always strikes me as like one of the best, like somebody talked about how men overall will, will apply for jobs. They would never be appropriate for because they feel that they can do it like your friend that decided to hop in on your interview and women won't women will will ache over every moment and decision and do i fit here and does that do i fit that role and do i check every box a guy will go i checked one box out of 20 good enough i'm sitting in my resume yeah exactly exactly it's ballsy i have I, I, I don't have that confidence. I, I personally spend all my time doing a bunch of stuff to, you know, get rid of that active mind of mine. But, you know, I emailed a person about a, pro, about a position, I should say role, about a role. And I said, I saw your posting. I think there's overlap. Here's my CV. Let me know. And they replied a week later and said, 100%. I think you'd be great. This is the role. Let's have a conversation. So I- nice that's how I am taking, that's how I'm taking all of my applications now is like, I haven't, I have what amounts to an exceptionally broad skill set. I'm not a developer anymore. Really. I'm not a web developer at all. You know, I managed big, I manage big teams. I can manage small teams. I do, I do very, weird things on a consistent basis. So it's very difficult when someone says, what kind of job do you want? I'm like, I don't know. One that pays pretty good would be great. (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise what? Like, I don't know. So if I see something where there's, you know, half of the check boxes, I'll ask them if they see that too. And if they do, then they say, let's have a conversation. And that's really interesting too, because like, I'm going to draw, an online dating analogy here <laughs> okay <laughs> because why not you know um not that i online date anymore i'm but you know i remember years ago when i was doing that my i was always thinking gee i hope they like me right 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 and and you could argue the same thing at job interviews like oh gee i hope they like me but what about their fit for me yeah right let me like, you know, and, and I should kind of switch that around. Mm-hmm. Am I going to hire them as my employer? <laughs> it know? is a, it is a, it is a skill to change oh. your mindset when it comes yeah. to job interviews. My yeah. job interviews are, unless I absolutely have to have that job, I treat it like I'm interviewing them. So yeah. I yeah. can, an- I can answer every question the way they need me to answer it to make them want me. It's easy. It's very easy. Yeah. Where do you You're see right. yourself in five years in your <laughs> shoes? You know, like, like that kind of thing. Retired. Sorry. Just, no. Yeah. Re- retired, <laughs> retired with your wife, you know, but like it's, it, it is, it's extremely easy. After you've done a lot of interviews, it's really, really easy to answer those questions. What is difficult is deciding that they need to fit you too. Right. Like what you said is like, do I like you? It can't just always be about the desperation to have a job. We yeah, always yeah. need to, we need to place the value on ourselves that we place on the company that's going to hire us. Yeah. That, yeah. that we deserve it, you know, that we deserve and, to be hired. But you know what, Hugh, like part of me still feels like I'm that 25 year old who just wants to get a job to get out of the, in my parents' house. Right. Part of me still feels like, 
yeah, I just need to, you know, I mean, that was so long ago, you know, but, but part of me still thinks like, yeah, I need, I need a stable job. I need my pension, you know, right. pension. Oh, God. The fuck is a pension. I need my pension. <laughs> I, don't even I wouldn't even know how that works. The pension oh, my been, God. bonkers to me. I, I, and I honestly, I believe, and I, and I, for any of you listening that, that have been doing the same job for 30 years, I think you're not very brave. I think in a lot of, unless, unless you have climbed the ladder to a really, really super great position, if you're doing the exact same job you've been doing for 30 years, you're not particularly brave. And I no, think- no, let me, let me clarify. I'm going to jump in here because I was at IBM for 20 years here. But you weren't doing the exact same job for 20 years. No, you changed, you pivoted, I, you, you did things that you weren't comfortable with. You learned. Right, but- but I still get the looks. I still get the raised eyebrow. Not for me. What? No, no, you're because we go back. But, but it's interesting though because I think that what what I had to really think about was well, what is my criteria, right? Right. And I really had to think about it. Am I challenged? Mm-hmm. And am I um, learning something? Mm-hmm. And do I feel that I have some control? or some power, some influence. Right. And, and as soon as I stopped feeling that, as soon as I stopped, I started to feel like I was washing, wash, rinse and repeat. And when I started to feel like that, then I, that's when I left. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though I got my fifth week of vacation, ah, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I say from while you work from your cottage, that's a, Yeah. Well, what am I going to do? It's been two years at ah, a cottage. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. Like I just needed to have a certain um, criteria. And it's, it's interesting too, because I, I worked with this one woman from uh, at IBM for a while and, um, and she was senior to me and uh, she was a real go-getter, right? Like she was, uh, had a lot of aspirations mm-hmm. and, um, and she called herself a designer, although she never did design, but she would facilitate design. That was kind of her, I guess, sure. magic power. And, um, and she, she asked me one time, we were on a business trip together and like, well, what are your aspirations? What are you going for? I'm like, okay, I just like work. I like the work that yeah. I'm doing. And she said to me, well, that's why you're, that's why you're not a director. That's why you're not, you know, she didn't say that's why you're not going anywhere, but, but she basically said, you know, that's not enough to be, you know, you're not hungry. You're not, you're not trying to put yourself out. She's American too. Maybe that, I don't know. Um, that 100% has something to do with it. <laughs> but, but, you know, I was kind of offended because it's like, well, I'm not you yeah, and you're not me. And, and I'm not hungry. Cause I think part of what, you know, I also, like I mentioned this earlier, what's really important to me is my work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what I've always associated too with being like in a very, very, very senior role is, is that like, and I see this, is that, you know, at a certain point, uh, you don't get to enjoy that five or six weeks holidays that you get because you have a lot of responsibility. A lot of people rely on you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think about that too, that, that weighs into my decision-making. Did you find um, within your role, as you became more senior and you started to lead people, did you find you were comfortable, comfortable wearing the, the mentor mantle? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, part of what I do now as a design pathfinder is that you know I I help teams build in new processes and new ways. Of, I hate to say ways of working, but it's true because you know I, I kind of look for gaps in in skills within a team, team skills, not individual skills, but team skills. For example, um, understanding product strategy or mm-hmm. even developing product strategy and how designers can partner in that. And building tools to help uh, designers ask the right questions, and right. and and be better partners with their product counterparts. Um, and so, I totally forget the question that you asked me initially. Uh, <laughs> if you if you became comfortable as a mentor, right? But because so when I was at IBM, when I was still working on projects, a lot of the younger designers, less experienced designers, uh, would come to me all the time and and be like okay Jen like I, I'm working on this project and I 
you know, I have, I have to run this workshop and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, but what do you have to do? Like what's, you know, and I did a lot of mentoring with the, these designers and I loved it. Like I really loved helping people to, cause like I'm a kind of a process junkie or yeah. a playbook junkie. Like I like, Oh, you got a problem. I got a tool for that. I got a method right. for that. Yeah. Cause I really think that, um, I think that, you know, I think having been at IBM when the IBM design thinking was born, I, I came to understand how structured methods can bring along a lot of people mm-hmm. into, um, into new thinking. Um, yeah. if, if you have clear objectives and, and, and a way to get there, you lay it out, you can bring people along for the ride and people go, what, what, like, cool. And, um, and it's easy. You kind of trick them into learning something new and also, you know, getting shit done and, you know, innovating on something Mm -hmm. and it's really fun. And so that's kind of what I do now. Yeah. And, and so, but when I was at IBM, I, I kind of did that a lot with, different designers outside of my project and I kind of loved it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so to move into that role now at RBC, like I really love it when, when designers or design leads kind of come to me with a problem. That's sure. kind of it. Like I, I love, I love helping out. Well, that's I, love great. Helping people. But I mean, and that part of that is part of that is just the experience. Like you, you put yourself in the shoes of someone who's a year or two in and, and the, the fluster that you get, when they're challenged with something that they're not ready for. And, and that moment when someone said to you, let's take a breath and let's break it down because breaking it down is obviously the best thing for you. You know, we talk a lot about um, in development, we, you know, the phrase is if you do it twice, make a function, you know, it's like, you don't ever want to write the same code twice because it makes yeah. it's a waste of your time because chances yeah. are, you'll probably need to, to use that, that particular line of code 50 more times. You know, and it's, it is a, you know, creating process and creating tools and step-by-step guides and things like that. Anything that streamlines someone's life in work makes their life outside of work a bit better because they leave the job realizing they've learned some efficiencies because no one wants to be inefficient. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I don't want people to have to reinvent the wheel every time. Yeah. I figured this out, by the way, I figured this out and it, 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 it honestly, I would say nine times out of 10, the person will say, thank you. One time out of 10, they'll be defensive and and say, I could have figured it out too, or I will figure out a better way. And that person isn't going to last because they're letting their ego drive their work. And there's no, there's not, that's just not a team player, you know? And unfortunately in a team environment, a team player is required and ego is, you know, problematic at best and, and damaging at worst, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is a holy side conversation. You know, it, it is. It, it, it's just. It's very. It's very interesting. The longer that I and I, I, I actually feel really bad about the comment that it, people that stayed in one spot were were not brave. What I meant was, if you stayed in one job, like one yeah. role, if you stayed yeah. in that one role for thirty years, that's what our parents did. And it wasn't that yeah. they weren't brave. It's yeah, just yeah. they were taking care of three kids and a you know a house and all that stuff. We just aren't doing that like like they did anymore. You know, yeah. they also made. I talked to my uncle, we were talking about what we made. And, and I said, so I don't, at the time I was making, I was like 125 is the most I'd ever made in my life. I was just blown away by it. And I said, 125. And he says, I worked my entire life making $38,000 a year. And I was just like, you have a house, you have a farm, a cottage, three cars, skidoos, you know, like they had everything. I just couldn't get over. Like they made so little money, but it was, that's the life that you were able to have, you know? Yeah. so weird. But what would be amazing is if we made the money we're making now and lived in a small town, I mean, there'd be (laughs) trade-offs. Yeah. Bad, bad Thai food. uh, Yeah. Or, any Thai food, any Thai food. Uh, um, but, but yeah, you can certainly make things go a little further, but uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Anyways, I, whatever. Um, <laughs> so we, we, <laughs> we digress. We've, we've well, we've, we, we obviously as a couple, we've talked about, you know, my wife and I have talked about like, Oh, what if we moved to Lindsay? I'm like, well, oh. there's some 
shitty restaurants and there's a couple of good ones, but overall it's a very sleepy town. I like my Ethiopian food and I currently live a block and a half or two blocks away from little Ethiopia. So if I had to give up Ethiopian food, I'm not sure I'd be okay with that, but maybe, I don't know, whatever. I don't know. We've had our house for 16 years. So yeah, and and I'm installing a new toilet tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I had to sweat the idea of like taking a toilet out, which I've never done before. So it doesn't matter. I did it once. It's good. It's good. You'll, you'll, it's pretty easy. Everybody has said that they're like, just get it done. Honestly, it's, it's two bolts and a (laughs) wax seal and a, and a pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. It's sitting right outside my door. It's waiting for me to do it. And I'll just do it tomorrow morning because I'm too, I'm too tired today. Anyways. I want to boop, 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 and just reel, reel it back into the episode. <clears throat> I don't really have any other questions. It, it, you know, the interesting thing is every person I've spoken with in this podcast so far, and I'm assuming it's going to continue, is, is their experience is obviously unique to them, mm-hmm. right? On one, on one hand, it's unique to them because it's how they perceived it. On the other hand, they're very similar in, in the execution of it, you know, it, it, hearing someone say we're restructuring. That's a very yeah. standard way of saying things. You know what I mean? We're restructuring. Hey, what does that be- mean? What because does that mean? Because as long as a corporation <laughs> says that it is a legal way for them to avoid entanglements with, with your contract. If they're restructuring, which means your role is no longer there, they can legally just get rid of you. And that's, that's a, that's a thing by the way. (laughs) So thank you for illuminating. I thought it was just a bad script. No, we think of it. Well, it is a bad script, but it's a bad script in defense of the company to help them get rid of you and not have to pay a whole bunch of stuff. So restructuring is a very legitimate, it's legitimate in a lawful sense. It's not legitimate in a person sense. Like you're dealing with someone. That's why he was like so uncomfortable because he's like, Oh, I can't believe I have to do this terrible, terrible thing. What is unique for you most especially is that you already kind of had a job lined up and it's like, that doesn't really happen all that often. And so you didn't have to stress regardless of your time with imposter syndrome and where am I worth it? Do I deserve it? Blah, 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 blah. Regardless of that, you were able to jump very, very easily into a new role. And that, and uh, you know, that is, uh, there's nothing to learn. Do you know what I mean? It's just, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, but I, I I think that the one learning, and I mentioned it before, was never assume you are... Um, in- invaluable. In, in, indispensable. Indispensable. Yeah. Never, never assume that. And and like, if that's one takeaway, that's it. And and this is that work life balance that you talked about. I re- whenever I have reports and I'm in a good mood and we we have a good rapport, I let them know that the company does not owe them anything more than they give them, and it's up to them to take from that what they will. And and you cannot you cannot allow yourself to give too much of yourself to a company because they don't owe you anything more than what they currently give you. No, they don't owe you anything, but I think that having a good relationship with your manager can really help a lot. I mean, that's another thing, but, but yeah, like, I mean, cause I think managers have a lot of discretion. I mean, there's, there's the rules, there's the company policy mm-hmm. and then there's, and then there's the humanity of your manager. <laughs> For sure. And uh, at the yeah. end of the day, your manager has a manager, that manager has a manager, you know, it, yeah. it's, yep, yep. There, there, there is, there is the bureaucracy of an organization that can lead to way more frustration. If you have a good manager and I like to think I, you know, I have been told many times from outside of the departments that I manage that, wow, your people are really loyal. And it, part of that is because I go to bat for my employees yeah. all the time. Yeah. However, in my reviews, <laughs> your people are really loyal, but you obviously have a problem with authority. And it's because I will go to bat for my employees at the expense of my own feelings. It's just, you know, you don't get to trample on the people who work for me just because they're not in the room, for instance. Right. Mm-hmm. I'd heard that yeah. feedback th- last week. They were like, so these are the things we really like about you. And this was like somebody who was talking about a role, but if you want to hear someone else's feedback that I heard, it's that you have a problem with authority. And I said, I got a problem with people being poor bosses. Yeah. You know, 
there's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, I was laughing. Yeah. With, I was laughing with Libs about it. I said, "Yeah, they said I have a problem with authority." She goes, "Oh my God, <laughs> Kel Supri's, you know, like, of course I have a problem with authority. Like it's, you know, of course I'm a. It's like I'm an old hippie that happens to be in marketing, you know." Oh my God, maybe you need to do your own startup, like be your own boss man. Yeah, I run two podcasts. I have a photography art project I've been doing for a year. <laughs> We started a Patreon hoping that someone will give me money. It's yeah, I've been doing, I've been a startup for 20 years now. So I just, I just intersperse that with regular paychecks from companies, but that helps. helps. It really, really does. It really does. does. I am available for hire. (laughs) 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 What I can do, I have no idea, but I am available for hire. Um, Jen, I have to say this has been a, a delightful uh, catch up at the very least, but also a very informative discussion. This has been really interesting. Thank you so much for the conversation and, and obviously catching up. It's been a long time. This episode of Dismissed was produced by and is copyright of Hugh Elliott. Did you enjoy this episode and want to support the podcast? Head over to patreon.com forward slash Hugh Q Elliott, two L's and two T's. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month for behind the scenes, early releases, and even more content. Feel like you have a story to tell? Email Hugh, dismissed at HughQElliott.com with the subject guest. Thanks for listening and have a fantastic day. Day.